Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Glad to have you on the podcast this week with us. We're Rob Croyle. Hello. Jennifer Bartlett. Hello. And myself, Logan, coming at you with the tasty footnote goodness. Uh, this week on the podcast, we've actually got a delightful interview with Lowell. Uh, I don't remember Lowell's last name. Holcalter. There you go. That's his last name. I'm not going to try to say that because I'm going to mess it up. Holcalter. You did it. Good job. I, hey, I didn't try. I did. It's like Yoda <laughs> would be so proud. Uh, so we'll, we'll right after we get done talking about shortcomings here, we're going to cut to that interview with Lowell, and he's talking about the lifeguard group and the work that they are doing here regarding human trafficking, or I should say combating human trafficking. Um, that's always kind of funny when you're, you're talking about oh, lifeguard group. Oh, yeah, they work in human trafficking. They work against human trafficking. Yeah, I caught him saying Specificity that. is excellent, but yeah. nonetheless. So uh, got a delightful interview with him. And we'll uh, we'll cut to that, like I said, after shortcomings. But we have to start. We have to start with our shortcomings because this is this is possibly my favorite shortcoming ever. Love it because it's not me, <laughs> and it's not Rob. It's not Rob, and it's not Jen. And in fact, it was nobody who was in the room. Oh man! On Sunday, I've yet to have a shortcoming. So oh well, now you've done. Now you've done. It. Where's Wood? I need to. Know. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm gonna like, watch you. I'm gonna watch you fall, crash, and burn so hard. It's like Matumbo saying to Michael Jordan, "You've never ducked on me before." It's like watch this. What what week is she preaching? Yeah, that's it's coming. It's coming. Oh, Whew, you've set oh, yourself up no. so good. I, I think the thigh swearing was a shortcoming. Come on. Uh, thigh swearing? Oh, no, that wasn't me. That was you guys continually no, no, no. talking about it. No, you're the one that said oh. we should make this a thing. I don't know. I thigh swear that, you know, it's coming. The day's coming. <laughs> the day is coming that uh, Jen is going to preach and whew, mark my words, the pride cometh before the fall. Nonetheless, uh, so, the shortcoming this week hello, is provided to us by Brent Billings, which most of our people probably wouldn't even know. Brent is a friend of ours. He's actually visited Mission Ridge before with uh, his delightful wife, Maggie, and their absolutely adorable child, Darius. But uh, they have they are, Brent is a longtime friend of ours, and absolutely. he listens to us. Uh, I'm not sure why he listens to us. I think he pities us. Or he something. pities us, or he just he just likes to correct us a lot of times. So we got this text message from him this morning. I'm gonna pull it up. We're gonna do this properly. Come on, facial recognition. Recognize my face. Move the mic. Respect my authority. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, so Brent sends us this message. Myself and Rob. He says, "Whoa, shortcoming. Last book before Jesus would be Chronicles." Wink face. Now, you have said in the sermon that this is the last thing to happen before Jesus. This is the last thing, we, this is the last thing we've heard of. Yes, chronologically. Is, chronologically speaking, this is the last thing to occur, is the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> and so I told Brent, I said, last book chronologically, meaning that it is the last bit of the story to occur. Chronicles ends with the first phrase of Ezra. 
Hmm. Which is absolutely fascinating that Chron- Second Chronicles, uh, or you know, as they should be all one big book, Chronicles, right. ends with the f- same phrase that starts off the book of Ezra. Uh, he said to, uh, he said, ah, I misheard it. Chalk it up as a shortcoming for him, which we are doing so. Well done, Brent. Well done. Thank you for being our shortcoming. <laughs> but that segues us into talking about this. Like, Chronicles begins, mm-hmm. or sorry, Chronicles ends with the beginning of Ezra. And I've got those two passages pulled up here that we can compare and contrast, because there is something slightly interesting about a little difference there. Ooh. <clears throat> Do tell. So in Chronicles, Second Chronicles, uh, this is chapter 36. That's a big old book. Big old honker. Uh, at the end of it, verse 22, uh, the heading in the ESV is the proclamation of Cyrus. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation through all of his kingdom and also put it in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Hmm. End scene. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. This should sound familiar, because in the book of Ezra, it begins... In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation through all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, and blah, blah, blah. It continues. Now, did you notice it It cuts off in Chronicles? It cuts off with that, May the Lord his God be with him, let him go up. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And in Ezra, uh, let me find it. Uh, Whoever is among you, all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. Chronicles cuts it off. doesn't say where. It just cuts off. And it, it Chronicles has a much more hopeful feeling it it's an odd ending to that book yeah it's a very strange ending right. that they cut it off right there and they don't talk about jerusalem and the rebuilding of it that the full decree and there's i i think that that's because chronicles is trying to paint a a more optimistic outlook because if we've read ezra and we have now right we know that this rebuilding doesn't quite go as planned. Well, and when we, if you compare the Christian Bible to the Jewish Bible, we order the stories and the um, writings, the the prophets, um, we we order those 
a little differently. So, you know, Genesis through Judges, we all we both both Christians and and the Jews have um, have those ordered similarly, but then. Um, from a Jewish Bible perspective, and that's what we will look at, because uh, their their order, I well they've they've had their Bible longer. Let's just put it that way. So, <laughs> so they got the first five books of the Bible that we agree with, and then Joshua, Joshua they would identify as a, a prophetic book, mm-hmm. and they have Judges and First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Those are all considered prophetic books to the Jewish reader, mm-hmm. not necessarily to the Christian reader. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we would see those as history, mm-hmm. um, but they they see those differently. And so they have the rest of the prophets clear through the uh, great um, Italian prophet Malachi. Oh my gosh. Like, what I is think, he saying right now? Oh, I knew, I knew where you were going with that too. <laughs> I think that's a. It's a me, Malachi. <laughs> I think that's a our friend. Uh, Yikes! Aaron Couch. Uh, then, then they have the writings and start starts with Psalms and Proverbs and Job and Song of Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Then they have first and second chronicles. Right at the very end. Right at the very end. But that is strangely out of order since we know that second chronicles ends mm-hmm. where Ezra starts. Hmm. Fascinating. And it's almost like I don't want to finish a story with this chapter. <laughs> So I'm not gonna. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to finish the story with Nehemiah 13. I want to finish the story with Chronicles, which also is kind of a like they're they're all stuck in exile. They're stuck in like they're they're sent off to Babylon. They've we've watched the the, the descent into madness of all of these kings that just keep screwing up. Right. Right. Uh it's not the story of hope that you would want to finish. It's still, I, mean, I mean, it's not a good story, but it, but at the end there, like, there's that it, w- it ends, you know. <laughs> it's even May the Lord has got to be with him. Let him go up. It's even interesting. Like, Esther and Daniel, I think, are out of order because Daniel is part of Babylon, mm-hmm. part of the Babylonian Empire. Um, we know that Esther and... Um, was part of the Assyrian. Mm-hmm. Is it Assyrian? I believe. Yeah, I believe it was Assyrian. That she's part of the northern, right? That goes into, or was she Persian? I'm sorry, Persian. Persian. She's part of the Persian. Yes, Artaxerxes was Persian. Yeah, was that's Persian. right. Right. Sorry, yep. I was reading a text and didn't hear what you said. Nah, that's all right. <laughs> Shortcoming so. already. <laughs> So it's Look interesting, at come. <laughs> and I don't have an answer to why these are ordered the way they are. 
we just found it interesting and it's intriguing and i think you know it's worth it's worth wrestling with why are they ordered that way and and why does why does chronicles cut off cut off that last little bit why is that last sentence and maybe maybe there's just this hope that we can learn from our history from from mm-hmm. a jewish perspective and and i honestly i feel like they have in a lot of ways I would say the Judaism that I see today does is not reflected in what we see in this in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and first and second kings. Like like I, I gotta believe that um, Judaism has learned a lot of lessons and they've paid close attention to their history. And I felt like I had to be kinda Debbie Downer, as it were, in the sermon a little bit when mm-hmm. it came to this story, and hey, this is not ending well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, their story isn't over. I still believe that God is is uh, at work with Israel when Israel went away <clears throat> as a nation for nearly two thousand years. Right. And and they are back again as a country, and and they are uh, a force on the world scene mm-hmm. as a tiny tiny nation like if god's hand isn't with them i'm not sure what is right does speak to that cool well let's uh let's jump from that happy note to another happy note <laughs> of uh, i'm being sarcastic here and deflecting with humor uh but we're gonna jump to our interview with lowell uh talking about the lifeguard group and their work against human trafficking All right, so we are joined with Lowell here with the Lifeguard Group. Uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about there, a uh, little bit about there. I speak good, killing it, <laughs> killing it today, Better. absolutely killing it. Um, no, no, we'll blame it on the Rona. Uh, there we go. But uh, no, we're going to talk about the Lifeguard Group and the work that they're doing here in Missoula. So uh, Lowell, tell us a little bit about what Lifeguard is and how you got involved with that. So the Lifeguard Group, uh, my wife and I formed this group of individuals three years ago. For 10 years, uh, my wife and I have been working in this uh, field, working with victims of human trafficking, working, um, helping individuals that are ready to get out of that life to find a new um, direction and to equip them how to best do that. Um, For seven years, we were working with an organization out of Las Vegas and Really, the commute just got a little bit long. Um, but we saw a great need in the Pacific Northwest for some action. And so that, that really spurred us to start the group. And so we did. And starting a nonprofit in Missoula um, is There's difficult. There's none of those here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's very wide open. Absolutely nothing else going nothing on. Nothing going on. Like, Pick your seat, you know. A little sarcasm there. (laughs) Absolutely. And so we were very hesitant, honestly. Um, And so we've tried really hard. I mean, Missoula is a great place to be and all of that, but we we try very hard not to be a Missoula nonprofit. I mean, we're, we're based here, yes, but we work nationally. We work internationally as of a month ago. Wow. And, um, 
but still this is our home. And so Montana being our home and the increase in trafficking that was taking place, we really decided, um, I guess on our faith side, to really take God at his word and say, Lord, listen, we're going we're gonna to start with the small. We're going to take care of home. Right. And if you find us faithful, you'll bless it to go beyond here Absolutely. In, in your time. And so we did. The first year, we just really started getting involved with the MMIW stuff. And um, What does MMIW stand the for? Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women okay. slash Persons. Um, and so we, you know, we had literally had our first board meeting on a Wednesday night, and Jermaine Charlo's family called us the next day mm. oh, yeah. and said, our daughter's missing. Is there any way you can help? And I remember calling our board and thinking to myself, they're going to think that I've re- like, I planned this. Oh, like, wow. I'm going to see yeah. <laughs> if this board is serious or not. And I said, listen, um, we're brand new, but we got we to gotta go. We got to mobilize right now. Mm-hmm. And so we were on the streets that night handing out missing persons, you know, and in that case, right, it's been just a little over two years now in mm-hmm. June on the 16th that she's been missing. And so uh, we've grown from there and just a lot of interesting things have happened. And uh, for a lot of people, this, the coronavirus has slowed them down. But I had a guy come up to me in church, right, in in early February, and he said, listen, God's going to put you on an accelerated course. And I, I was like, well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people give, like, words. And I'm mm, like, sure. Like, I'll put that in the back pocket. You know, right. I'm not going to ride that. Sure. Um, yep. So then when the shutdown and all that happened, I was like, I want to find that guy. <laughs> Be like, hmm, guess somebody was off. But I'm going to tell you, he was exactly right on. We have seen... Such an acceleration in the last two and a half months, three months, that we cannot keep up what wow. the the progression of things, uh, both on the the need side, but also on the provision side. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So uh, you said as an uh, kind of the acceleration here. Um, I've got a stat here that there was there's been a seventy percent increase of calls on child exploitation. So in Montana, and that, I got to be honest, uh, you guys, that, that, when that came out on Wednesday night, that was a punch to the face as a Montanan, as a dad, mm. uh, as a human being, Yeah, wow. that in the state of Montana, we have seen from 2019 to the first quarter of 2020, a 70% increase in child exploitation. Ugh. So we are almost ready to surpass, in the first quarter, already to surpass the numbers of the entire 2019 calendar year of child exploitation. And that's various things. That's children being solicited for sex, uh, children being uh, sold, uh, children being recruited for trafficking, children being sold by their families, you know, across the board. And in that article, they've actually got it broke down, and it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. And and in all the while, we sit in Montana, the last best place, and go, well, not here, not right. in, not in our town, right? 
And so it's it's happening in our world. It's happening in our state. That's it's incredible. happening in our rural towns. Um, but that was a that statistic is it's it's grueling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just That's, when you feel like maybe you're getting a, I don't know, being able to feel like you've caught your pace a little bit, that that sunk me back. I felt like, shoot, you know, I'm not going to lie. There was a moment there. I was like, why are we even doing this? Like, we're never, never going to win this, ever. Right. Seems too big, doesn't it? Oh, my God. It's just overwhelming. Just really yeah. disheartening. The, yeah. And the numbers, you know, we're at, worldwide, we're at 40.3 million people. Um, estimated being trafficked in the world today, almost three million in the United States. Wow! Um, like, how are we gonna? How are we gonna do this? Mm-hmm. So I had my Wednesday night. I definitely had my kicking the can down the road. Going, I don't know why we're even doing this. this is dumb, <laughs> you know. That's about one in six or one in seven people in the U.S. for mm-hmm. worldwide numbers. Yeah, just to give perspective that's huge yeah bailing out the titanic with a spoon exactly Hmm. yeah if you've i don't know if you've seen that um short video on facebook it shows a guy on one side of a iron rod fence you know with the iron rods about six inches apart sure and he's scooping like waist high water with a bucket and dumping it over to the other side of the fence (laughs) (laughs) and Uh. you know you watch it and you go what a fool yeah but I, there are times where I lay my head down. And I'm like, God, I feel just like that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Feel just like that guy. But yeah. maybe if we scoop fast enough, and maybe if we had enough people scooping, there you go. We can change. Say it. that's it's it's increasing the amount of people doing the scooping. Yeah, sure. Or even new tools, new right, tool yeah. sets. I mean, you mentioned before that you guys are looking to establish a safe house. That's a new tool. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Well, we've known for a long time that that is a that is something that has been a huge need in in the in the US. Right now there's about 1044 beds available for rescued victims. That's a, of age, so those over 18. So if you take the numbers estimated 3 million being trafficked. Right. Compare that to 1,044 beds. Falls short, doesn't it? Like, so why, like, there's part of me is like, why, why would we go and rescue anymore? Where are we going to put them? Right. So we knew, um, my wife and I knew that when we started the lifeguard group, I told our board right off the bat, listen, this is, this is a main thrust, and I know it's going to be in God's timing. I get that, but it's going to have to come. And uh, we found a property that we feel like is ideal it's 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 uh just in its setting is is has got a healing component just in creation itself mm-hmm. um and you know i signed we're in the midst of you know the back and forth between the buyer and the seller you make an offer he makes a counter all this um but i remember i i signed an offer for $950,000 and I, I giggled. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't got $950,000. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, this is so foolish. Like, why am I signing my name oh. to this? Um, but there's there's something 
in my soul that says somewhere, I mean, there's mm-hmm. somebody out there that's got a checkbook that, you know, one in six zeros is nothing mm-hmm. for them. And so we're moving forward, and um, we've got our therapy stuff all in place and ready to go. Um, and this facility, actually, once we take ownership, it's um, it's got everything. It's got we'll be buying everything right down to the salt and pepper shakers that are there. Hmm. Um, we can take five women. There's extra housing for teams that can come in and help and be a part of that, and. Nice. 40 acres of beautiful Montana scenery and nature that's there. So um, we know the minute that the doors open, it will be at capacity. So, right. Uh, yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. Even just talking about it, I, one side of me gets goosebumps, the other side of me gets the shakes because I'm scared out of my mind. Mm. <laughs> it's a great place to be. Yeah. <laughs> Guys now, have to show up. Yes, yeah. he will. Which is a great place yes, to be. He will. Yeah. yeah. Now there's a there's a hotline. Um, that do you guys run this hotline? Well, we will. Okay. Um, so th- uh, we work with some tremendous people across the state, okay. and there are some great task forces. There's one right here in Missoula, Missoula Human Trafficking Task Force. Just a group of individuals, group of professionals, um, that have come together to say, you know what, not in my town. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do whatever it takes to, to be that stalwart in that. And um, there's a national human trafficking hotline that has been somewhat adequate. But they're based in New Jersey. They get a lot of federal money, which is part of their downfall, I think. Mm. But uh, the turnaround time for that number and a community like ours and a state like ours is completely ineffective. Mm-hmm. Right. We had a incident last year where a truck driver came and parked at the Y, and he had two 13-year-old girls knock on his truck door and offer sexual services. And he had been through some training, and he knew exactly what to do. He picked up his phone, and he dialed 911, and he said, listen, this is what we've got going on, I'd like for somebody to respond to help. He hung up that call, and he called the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That night, it was a Friday night, and two deputies from the county responded. Well, in their haste, they actually ran lights and sirens out there. Well, once they got there, they were gone. Yeah, He swooped them up, and he, he had moved on. Uh, Tuesday, uh, I was in the sheriff's office, and the captain of the detectives came up to me, and he had a piece of paper in his hand, and he goes, hey, chap, he goes, I just got this. uh, You might want to take a look at it. So this is Tuesday. The call came Friday, and it just had been teletyped over, which they actually still do that, by the way. They call it a fax, but it's still like a a teletype that comes (laughs) immediately from agencies nationwide. Yeah. Yep. And um, it it was a report that there were two 13-year-old girls at a truck stop at the Y, and maybe we should respond. And This is five days later. Five days later. That's and quick. Yeah. And, I mean, if 
if they were gone by the time the deputies got there, there's right. certainly there's, long. There's I mean, no hope. by that time they're in Chicago, Minneapolis, mm-hmm. um, wherever they were headed for that long term, right? So uh, we determined that, and just in communication with the task forces across the state, said we, and they, we were all in agreement. Listen, the turnaround time is not effective, and so you know we tried a lot of different avenues. We talked to the DOJ and. You know, politics plays, you know, gets its cancer in everywhere. And yeah, blah, blah. So we approached, we approached the Gianforte Family Foundation and said, listen, this is kind of a new thing. Um, it's never been done. What do you think? And they gave us a grant to operate for one year. Um, and uh, so we announced it on Thursday of last week. And as of Monday morning, we had 85 people that had signed up to answer phones. Our goal is to get um, to where you only have to answer the phone one day a year, 24 hours, you know, a volunteer. Hmm, sure. So we'll train those people. And, again, there's that picture of, right, more tools and more skill sets. Right. I mean, if you can set that wall up, not only are they going to be people that will be able to answer the phone, but now they're going to have an awareness. They're going to have their, mm-hmm. you know, their skins in the game, however you want to put it. be able to teach it. people. Exactly. Yeah. So – it's uh, it's exciting, and again, it's another one of those where you know you've got one year to do it, and hopefully, you can conjure up the the funding to keep it going after that. Sure. Um, but it's it's definitely something that you know people can you know I guess our our new um, mantra from the lifeguard group is find your place in the fight. Um, maybe you can't go search. Maybe there's something that holds you back. You can't write a big million dollar check um, maybe can't do those things but you know what you can take a phone number for one day and answer that and very possibly very possibly save somebody's life like and that's not I'm not saying that in a manipulative way that's not far-fetched that's like the honest truth mm-hmm. um, the national hotline last year received 6,000 calls out of Montana and those are different right there some of them are victims that are calling saying I need help some of those are people that see something going on and mm-hmm. want help in what do I do now? And so the hotline will, will answer all of those things, and it will also help us to um, record data and have that because it, that, that is – it's just unavailable at this point. And that's uh, – I mean, that's the first step for combating this stuff is absolutely. understanding the – the yeah. problem. So yeah. Yeah, and I mean, because right, even though even us sitting in this room, we all when we think of human trafficking, it's all just a little bit different. There's no solid, especially in Montana. Mm-hmm. There's some that are even listening to us right now, thinking that really, like that really is not happening. I mean, they've got to stretch pretty far to call something, but then there are others that know for a fact because they know somebody. They know for a fact that human trafficking is like taking place as we speak, right here in our town. Hmm. Wow. So anybody can anybody can sign up to be a, a volunteer and and answer that phone, which we'd love. That's excellent. Where do they sign up? You can go to four zero six stop dot com, or you can go on the lifeguard group's Facebook page. There's a link on there. Or you okay. can go to the lifeguardgroup.org and sign up there. We will link all those on our web on our page show notes. or on our show notes. I appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. That is excellent. Well, Lowell, thank you so much for joining us and uh, yeah, telling us about this. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's a lot of this I had no idea about. Um, so, and I probably know more than some people. Sure. So this is uh, this is really good stuff to know about and to become more aware of. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. And bless you guys and everything that you're doing in our community. And maybe someday we'll work together. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. Well, that was that was excellent talking Man. with him. Um, powerful Man. stuff. And when we were talking about experiencing God and going through that series, Lowell and his wife in that group is living this out in so many ways. The, the yeah. fact that they started this organization and the problem is so big, is so big, you know, and I love the word picture of the guy standing there with the bucket trying to, you know, scoop the water and throwing it on the other side of the fence. And, but the, the, the fence is porous and, and uh, am I making a difference at all? And, and the answer Why is... Why are we doing this? Yeah. The answer is not until other people catch the vision too and the fence starts to be repaired and more buckets show up and more people are committed to the work. Yep. And I really believe that as a church, we need to partner with with them. So I'm looking forward to having more conversations with Lowell and, and figuring out what that looks like. But uh, I love the faith that they're displaying and... Uh, God's going to do something through their faithfulness, and and I want to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and absolutely. I think it's interesting how many people don't think this is happening in the U.S. And I know Lowell approached on that, but why not err on the side of protecting and loving the displaced and hurting and broken? Like, mm-hmm. uh, why not say? I see a teenager who is roaming around the Y and make a phone call because maybe they're lost or maybe they are being trafficked. Like, so I don't know. Constant vigilance. Yes. Yeah. I was trained on how to identify human trafficking and, and the air force is very serious about, making sure uh, their airmen are not involved, you know, aren't participating in things that promotes human trafficking, one, and two, knows how to report it and and those kinds of things. And the sense I always had when watching or taking part of that training, we had to take the training probably, it was either once a year or once every two years. That was the typical rotation for that kind of training. And my sense in watching the training and taking part in the training is, oh, when I deploy overseas, then this is something I have to be concerned about. And that's that's just not the case. We know that uh, when the Super Bowl hits, uh, it's a huge problem in, in whatever town is hosting that event. And we know that the calls have increased in the state of Montana, that there's uh, 6,000 phone calls a year. Uh, to the hotline for the state of Montana. And so we have, what, 10, 15% of the population. So that's 600 to 1,000 phone calls coming out of our county alone. Mm-hmm. 
maybe maybe slightly more because uh, of a condensed population base, so maybe up to you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand of those phone calls coming out of our town. So that's that's our neighbors that we need to look after and care for. And so I, yeah, I'm grateful that that Lowell and his team is leading that charge, and and we can join them in what they're doing, and not feel like we have anything to offer, and yet just come alongside the guy that's already at the fence with the bucket and going, hey, what do I do? And they've been standing there for a while, so they've already got some ideas and mm-hmm. they could train and mm-hmm. they could help us, you know, get uh, get engaged. So, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let's dive into some footnotey goodness here a little bit more. We've, all, I mean, we've already been talking about footno- footnotey goodness. But uh, let's let's talk about twelve years. Uh, let's talk, talk let's talk how long Nehemiah was gone. So this is chapter thirteen, verse six, verse six. It says, "While this is taking place, I was not in Jerusalem." This is Nehemiah talking. For the thirty second, for in the thirty second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing him a chamber. And I was very angry and and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, grain offerings and the rest of the chapter occurs. So in the 32nd year uh, of the king, he went back to the king. He returns back to the king. Now, this is a reference to uh, chapter 2, verse 6, because there was a time. He had specified a time that he would be gone. <clears throat> uh, chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, uh, interesting little side note there, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I send me when I had given him a time. It doesn't tell us the time at that point. Right. But we know. Now, the footnotes in my trusty little ESV study Bible... Um, when Nehemiah was given leave of the absence, the king had required him to name a time for his return, as we see in verse 6 of chapter 2. It is not clear whether he had traveled more than once between Jerusalem um, and the royal court. In any case, he is now called back at the 32nd year for an unspecified time. The journey to Susa took almost 50 days to travel, the 1,100 miles, and another 55 days to return, averaging 20 miles uh, per day. Which is, That's a pretty good little clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eliashib uh, may have been opposed to Nehemiah's policy of strict separation from the community's neighbors and thus may have taken advantage of his perhaps lengthy absence. Uh, references uh, for chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, King of Babylon. Uh, an, un- an unexpected name for the Persian Artaxerxes. But see uh, Ezra 5.13 and 6.22, where the Persian kings are called uh, call, uh, or called King of Babylon and Assyria, respectively. This is because of the ex- successive empires, in some sense, took on the identity of their predecessors, etc. Um, now, Artaxerxes may have been a- uh, actually holding court in Babylon at the time. Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem must have been before Artaxerxes' death in 423. Now, uh, in the 32nd year, that would have been... For thirty-three, so for thirty-three to four twenty-three, minimum ten mm-hmm. years. 
uh, or minimum, minimum, minimum would have been uh, 55 days, I guess, or a hundred and twice that, the travel time. 10 days. But at most, it would have been 12 years uh, is the way we figured out the math. 10 to 12 years right there at most. So within a 12-year period, a 10-year period, um, everything that they've, they've, they've set, they've set up these things. We're going to do these seven principles. We're going to live this out. We got the walls built. We got everything back on track. Nehemiah has done everything right. And within 10 years, it has fallen to the wayside. Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. And the walls come crumbling down. Well, actually, the walls were still standing. They just were being abused. Right. You know. So, interesting little little tidbits there for you to consider. It, 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 it really brings the story to life when we understand the timing of these sort of things. Let's talk Moabites, Ammonites. That was easy for you to say. Easy for me to say. <laughs> Oof. I'm look. I'm reading the board here at a really sharp angle, which makes it look like Ammonites. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's garbage. That's, that's garbage. That's, yeah. that's, that's complete garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bad excuse. Uh, I do write in hieroglyphics. Uh, you know, every once in a while. Nonetheless, Rob, you've got some interesting things to talk about Ruth and Boaz? Yeah, so... He said with a question mark? It feels like Israel has already forgotten their history because in the book of Ruth, Ruth is a Moabite. She uh, marries one of the sons of... Naomi, who becomes Mara, Mara mean bitterness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Naomi says, "My name is no longer Naomi. Mm-hmm. It's like blessing or blessed one." Sweetheart. Or, I've what heard, is it? I've heard it called sweetheart. Sweetheart, huh? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> and so Ooh. Ruth goes to uh, um, glean the fields in accordance with uh, Levitical law. And Boaz takes notice of her, and he does really three things for this Moabite woman. First of all, he brings her water. Mm-hmm. He, he gives her water. Um, and uh, he gives her grain, which is really important for making bread. And he is abundantly gracious towards her, which is really, in a sense, being a blessing. Mm -hmm. And what we're told here early on in Nehemiah 13 is that it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, which... Again, that's a misquote. It's to the 10th generation. It's not ever. It's to the 10th generation. Mm-hmm. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. So Boaz, in effect, undoes the curse by being a blessing. And we talked about this extensively uh, 
last fall, I think it was. I don't remember. Um, I remember talking about it, but I don't remember when that was. That's all right. In one of our sermons, it was good. I'm sure it was. <laughs> as good as our sermons ever are. Uh, I could I could pull that up here in just a second. But what we know is David is within four generations. King David. Mm-hmm. He, he is of descent of Ruth and Boaz. They, If you haven't figured it out already, uh, they marry. Right. <laughs> And uh, they have a child, and he is David is a great grandson of uh, Ruth and Boaz. Solomon builds the temple and dedicates the temple. He's within five generations, right? And yet he's the one that builds the temple. He initiates offerings were told over and over and over again about his offerings he would have been in the presence like this idea of of uh not entering the assembly of god it's the ability to approach the altar itself mm-hmm. now if you weren't able to approach the altar and offer uh on the altar if, if that was something that you were not allowed to do it prohibited you from other things like having a position of authority like within the military or within the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were, there were other things tied to that, hmm. which, which is strange because, man, who's over the, who's over the military? Isn't that David the king? David becomes king. Huh. Seems like there should be a restriction on that. Hmm. And so like they're forgetting their own history and they're, they're misquoting the scriptures, one, they're over-applying it. They're going well beyond the bounds that God created. Right. And then under-applying it in some cases. Yeah. You know. And then and, ju- and then just not living it out well. Like they... <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, that's... Um, there you go. Interesting. Hmm. Speaking of... Under applying. <laughs> uh, so, man, they 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 got this ten years, ten years ish, mm-hmm. that he's gone, and then he comes back. Nehemiah comes back, and everything has fallen to pieces. And he's like, dude, y'all, y'all, I turned my head for one second, or you know, hundred and ten days, or right, ten years, whatever. You know, it's all. It's all, you know, whatever. Turns away, looks away, and everything falls to pieces. You know what this kind of reminds me of? Uh, New Year's resolutions. Oof. We set up goals, and we're like, all right, this is the year. Y'all, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to read the books. I'm going to get a workout regimen. Yeah. How long? I've been 2020 told. goals. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write out the Bible. I'm going to pray for somebody every day. Yep. I'm going to disciple somebody. Oof. Yeah. That that might have been convicting to me and anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> that was our first sermon this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> don't remember where I heard this source, but 
it was somebody at a went to a grocery store and they're like, when do you know that people have given up on their resolutions? And they're like, by the second week of February. Well, how do you know that? Kale sales drop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, what the kale? Oh. And I was like, okay, so what? That's six weeks, and yeah, yeah. no, that's mm. that's about right. I, so. <laughs> I've never had a resolution that included kale, I'll tell you that much for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds like hating yourself. In fact, that might be one of my resolutions that I've actually stuck with. I will not eat kale. <laughs> Going living out strong. The, living it out. <laughs> I was at Costco this last week, yeah. and there was a bag of sweet kale, and I'm like... No. <laughs> Man, that, that doesn't sound... <laughs> One of those two words doesn't go with the other. Nope. They uh, they messed up on the packaging. And you yeah. don't even have to try to convince me I'm wrong, because I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Messed up the packaging. Nonetheless, okay, so uh, breaking resolutions. <laughs> breaking resolutions here. At least five out of the seven, we think. Well, and what I wonder... So Tobiah lives... In the, he lives in this in this storehouse. In this storehouse, he's so got his his little his little uh, Airbnb. I mean, I'm which stands for Ammonite BNB. If, <laughs> if 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 I'm a parishioner, I love that. If I'm a parishioner <laughs> of of that congregation, right? Yeah. And and I'm like, where am I supposed to take my wood offering? Apparently, apparently, this is not important to you. Yeah. If if. If you no longer have a storehouse, mm-hmm. yeah, or or and we're supposed to get rid of all. Like I had to ditch my wife that was an Ammonite and my kids. Like we had to send them away. But this Ammonite is chilling like a villain up in, there in the storehouse. Yeah, I don't think you guys need my temple tax. Right, first fruits. Probably not. Table get scraps it. is what you're going to get, if anything, maybe. In other words, when the leadership doesn't handle doesn't manage their affairs well yet mm-hmm. people lose sight of of the mission yep they see that and they're like ah hard pass so we know that the uh there's there's probably marriage that's occurring still like this is it talks about this that they're they're not they're not living out this this vow to keep the the foreigners excluded which yeah, they might have over gone a little overzealous on that, but now they're just not. I mean, one of them's living in the storehouse. Right. Whoops. Um, there's people working on the Sabbath and and trading on the Sabbath, like specifically what they said not to do. They're now holding marketplace on the Sabbath. All right, that's two of them down. Um, and then the 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 three shekel temple tax, the offering of the first fruits. Um, and the tithes for the Levites, though we're going to lump those all together, that the Levites are having to go out and get jobs. So it's unlikely that those are occurring like they should be. Um, now, the challenging part when I first started diving into this last week in preparation, I read the first verse of chapter 13. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. Now, on, on what day? What is that day? It it almost seems connected to chapter 12. Mm. Like, it's a continuation. Like, 
of everything that's happening in, in chapter 12. Because for, verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms and the contributions of first fruits and tithes. And, you know, and so, um, and then in verse 4, it says, now before this, so before the on that day, mm-hmm. which is in line with what happened mm-hmm. in verse 44 of verse, like, like, I almost picture 13, the beginning of 13 could actually be a, the end of chapter 12. Yeah. And then you get this, now before this, Elisha, the priest. So in other words, before all these reforms came about, so maybe this isn't a, a chronological, but this is just a highlighting of all the problems, like it's a... Maybe it's like Deuteronomy, which is a retelling of the things that were said. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a this is a highlighting, this is retelling, this is a say it again. Like and these are the problems that we were dealing with. And part of the problem is when the leader stepped out, it was Lord of Flies. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Good stuff. Now we don't know whether the uh, year of release. Just to finish, wrap these up. Uh, we don't know whether or not the the wood, the wood offering, or the year of release were broken. Right. Um, it makes no mention of them. Right. So, more than likely, probably not. I mean, if you look at the the trend, five out of seven. Probably go for a full set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go for a go for a full completion. But uh, nonetheless, that's things had fallen apart, and they were they were a hot mess. Right. Which leads to Nehemiah, you know, raging and 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 being like, "God, remember me! I didn't screw up." So, you know. Well, and um, I read some commentary that said that the original book was titled Ezra. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Nehemiah does more, but because of his lack of humility in this last chapter, they didn't give him credit. The <laughs> rabbis said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna give this to Ezra," <laughs> <laughs> which is oh, that's that's ironic. Remember me, Lord. No, we're not gonna name it after you. Yeah. Hard pass. <laughs> you keep breaking uh, your arm, patting yourself on the back. That's funny. All right. Well, cool. Well, this has been a fun series. Uh, Hopefully you got some stuff out of it. We're going to dive into Sabbath next week, and it's going to be miserable and unbearable for all of us, myself included. We will suffer together uh, as we figure out what the heck Sabbath looks like. (laughs) I'm pretty stoked. Pretty stoked. There's some sarcasm in my beard, but nonetheless, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You're you're not going to want to miss it. So, I think Jesus will show up. It'll be good. It'll be good. I'm excited. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more Footnotes. Footnotes.